From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. If you're coughing and sneezing, it can be trickier than you might think to determine if you've got a regular cold or seasonal allergies. So I'm talking today with an otolaryngologist or an ear, nose, and throat doctor who can help us make sense of our symptoms. Dr. Heidi Marzouk is an assistant professor at Upstate Medical University who takes care of adults and children. Welcome, Dr. Marzouk. Thank you for having me. So when the seasons change in central New York, we seem to be susceptible to illness, whether from viruses or from allergens. So let's talk about the symptoms that are common this time of year and how do you decide which goes with what? Sure. Um, We all tend to have the sniffles around this time of year. And the question is, uh, do I need antibiotics? Is it run-of-the-mill cold or could it be something more? Uh, Typically, Uh, when things are consistent during seasons, it's hard to tell the difference. Uh, But usually, your common cold is not going to last for three to four weeks, right? Usually a viral viral infection is going to last, you know, seven to ten days maximum. Uh, Typically, when we have allergies or a viral infection, the secretions do tend to be clear, uh, but when we have bacterial infections, sometimes things can uh, turn color, uh, and that might be a tip-off. Typically, okay. when we have allergies, we don't have fevers or body aches, although you can't have fatigue with both. In terms of sinus pain and pressure, at least 75% statistically of people can have some sinus pressure just from allergies alone. So okay. again, it's a confounding factor that we're not sure of. And in fact, allergies can predispose you to sinus infections on a recurrent basis. So the idea is um, if your symptoms are prolonging, it's better to have them checked out because uh, there's definitive testing that we can use to see if you do have environmental allergies and to try and flush things out. Oh, they're okay. Okay. Well, I was going to ask about that. Mm-hmm. Um, sneezing, itchy, watery eyes, those sound more like allergies, but not necessarily. No, sneezing can be a a very common symptom in allergies as well as the eye symptoms, Uh, but throat symptoms can also be allergic too. Sore throats are common uh, in people with allergies, Uh, but they're also all symptoms of having a cold or viral uh, illness too. Again, it depends on the duration uh, as a a tip-off. So um, a person might not be able to figure this out on their own. They may need a doctor's help. There's some tests or Mm -hmm. what would you do with a patient who comes? So typically when patients come into my office, it's not for the, uh, you know, five-day common cold, right? Once you've made it to a specialist, probably you've been tried to treat a cold and you're not shaking whatever it is that's going on fairly easily. Uh, You'll try an over-the-counter Claritin. You'll try, you know, some over-the-cold, over-the-counter cold medicine, and it's, it's not working. So basically, I do a physical exam, and there are things that I can see in the nose and throat that can sometimes tip me off if there's a bacterial infection versus viral versus allergy. In the office, we can perform allergy testing, which can take as little as 20 minutes uh, to see if your body does have a predisposition to react to certain things in the environment. And different uh, time courses can point to different allergens. People always ask me, well, it's winter time. Why am I having symptoms? You can have allergies during the winter. Um, some allergies we categorize as kind of all year round, like cat, dog, dust, and mold. Things from indoor more indoor, what we call perennial allergies. Okay. And we could also have allergies from weeds, typically fall. Is it going to be your bad season? Trees, typically spring. Grasses, 
typically summer. So, so those if things you're allergic to like weeds or grasses, does that make you, are you more likely to be allergic also to dust and molds or so, not necessarily? So we say that sometimes the body has a predisposition towards allergies and part of that's genetic, part of that's environmental. Uh, there is a, a significant proportion of people that will be allergic to both. And that's probably closer to 30, 40%. And then some people are just seasonal. Some people are just perennial or indoor okay. allergies. Some people I know, there just seems to be a wide range of suffering. Some people with quote-unquote allergies seem to be mildly annoyed, and then others are just miserable. So what accounts for that variable? Uh, partially, it's uh, genetic. And then when we uh, test for allergies, you can test the severity of the allergy. Basically, when you have an allergy, your body's developing antibodies to something it shouldn't, right? Uh, to a uh, uh, a tree or a weed or something in the environment. And depending on how many of those antibodies you have circulating, sometimes that'll correlate to how bad your symptoms are. And again, if you're allergic to dust and trees, during spring, you're going to get exposed to dust and, and trees, trees, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes there are foods that can overlap uh, in terms of the way they're structured with some of the environmental stuff. And again, it's all kind of dose-dependent on how much you're getting of all of these different factors. Interesting. So, uh, and you treat uh, adults and children. Do Correct. children, do you see, like, babies with allergies? Are they born with... So typically, especially with seasonal allergies, you have to be exposed to multiple seasons for your body to develop the antibodies to those things in the environment. So uh, typically above age three is the earliest we really start to consider environmental allergies. However, kids start having solid foods far uh, earlier than that. So um, typically now close to six months of age, kids can develop more food allergies. So under three, that's something I consider. But the evidence for food allergies causing, you know, your typical hay fever symptoms is much less strong compared to the environmental stuff. So Interesting. Um, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air, and we're talking with Dr. Heidi Marzouk, an assistant professor of otolaryngology at Upstate Medical University. Um, I wanted you to explain a little bit more about the testing for allergies. Sure. How do you determine what someone's allergic to? What are they? So, you know, um, sometimes we have this uh, picture in our mind of uh, a thousand needles on the back when we think of right. allergy testing, and now it's become a little bit more uh, I guess, patient-friendly and streamlined. So obviously we can't test for everything in the environment. That would be extremely cumbersome. So typically what I do in the office, I try to narrow it down to things that are specific for our area or to the Northeast United States. And we kind of take a couple from the major, you know, a couple of allergens from the major categories. There are cases where um, I'm very highly suspicious that it's one or two things, and I'll only test for those. And there are two major ways that we can test that are, I guess, in vogue these days. One is prick testing, which are just some rockers that we roll over the skin. And we look to see if you get an itchy bump, okay, after 20 minutes. Okay, no needles involved, just some prongs where it feels like you're getting poked with a pencil. Another way that we can test for allergies is through blood work. So a simple blood draw, just like you have done at the doctor's office, uh, and it'll test you specifically for uh, antibodies to certain things in the environment and and or food. Both are available through both methodologies. Neat. Well, that sounds a lot less painless than... Than before with sure. the pricks. Um, so once once you know that you have an allergy to these specific things, mm-hmm. what what then? 
So uh, again, there are those of us who with some over-the-counter, you know, uh, medication do fine. And that that's the end of that and use it as needed. There are those of us who uh, that's not enough. Okay. Uh, and again, it has to be tailored to the different patients, right? So there's a variety of things. There's oral antihistamines. There's different kinds prescription. of uh, antihistamines, both over-the-counter and prescription. Okay. There's different nasal sprays that we can use, right, involving nasal steroids, nasal antihistamines, and things like of that nature. Uh, there's other uh, modalities such as Montelukast or things that we've typically thought of for asthma that actually can help allergies very nicely. And for the really bad flares, sometimes you do need a little bit of oral steroid, although I try to avoid it if I can. If that cocktail, and sometimes it is a cocktail of different things, really doesn't work, that's when I start to consider desensitizing a patient. And those are for the more severe um, uh, cases of allergies where the, the usual uh, things that we think of when we think of allergy medicine is really not working and you need some long-term you know, benefit. Is that allergy shots? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's... there are different ways to desensitize patients these days, the most classic of which is allergy shots. Mm-hmm. So with that, are you getting an injection of a little bit of whatever you're allergic to? Or? Yeah. So what you're trying to do when you do allergy shots is you're developing an an- almost like an antibody to the antibody so that um, the body is not so um, the immune system is not so active against the environment. So you start off with very small doses of what you're allergic to, and you introduce it to the body and gradually increase the amount until there's like a standard, what we call concentrate amount that your body's going to tolerate. And that can give you uh, years of symptom control and decreased need for medication. That's what I was going to ask. How long does it last? But it's yeah. lasting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Typically five to 10 years there are people who never need a booster after that. But there are uh, some of my patients who I'll boost with the desensitization after they had maybe allergy shots 10 years ago or more. Do people ever um, use this as a reason to leave central New York saying that their allergies are too bad and they've got to move somewhere? So with nasal allergies, you know, uh, it does affect quality of life quite significantly, although I would say that if you have um, asthma, uh, you know, and your breathing's affected, that's a different um, animal, and sometimes that can affect uh, your quality of life more. With central New York a lot of our allergens are humidity specific, such as trees and grasses, molds, mm-hmm. etc. And we have a lake effect. So uh, that does affect uh, the amount of allergen in the environment. Have I ever said, I heard of my patients say, I am moving specifically for this cause? Not yet. Um, but uh, it does affect people quite significantly. If you moved and relocated to another part of the country, though, would you just... Uh, pick up, would you be allergic to stuff there too? So, so things that are, especially things like mold and dust are very humidity specific. So the more arid, uh, and dry parts of the country, states like Arizona, Nevada, you know, because they're less humid, the, the, the counts of the allergen in the environment do tend to be less. Hmm. However, there are other things that you can be allergic to. And again, that's why our allergy panels are, uh, regional region specific. Um, if, if a person has something, diabetes or heart disease or other um, diseases, does that make their allergies better or worse, or does it give you more complications? With the diseases you mentioned specifically, no. There are um, 
disease, you know, disease entities that tend to kind of uh, go with or tell us that you might have a more uh, genetic predisposition towards allergies, such as eczema, asthma, uh, okay. and things of that nature. Now, most people would start off seeing a primary care doctor first if they've got symptoms that they're, they're not sure about. Yeah. Which are the patients that find their way to you or your colleagues that specialize in ear, nose, and throat disorders? So I, uh, allergy is kind of a mixed bag, right? We have allergy immunology doctors that see a lot of allergic patients, primary care, um, pulmonologists, and they all do a fantastic job. Sometimes people just make their way to the ENT first because their, their symptoms are much more anatomically specific to the ear, nose, and throat region. Uh, and sometimes uh, while the, the asthma is being managed great, the nasal congestion might need a little hit. And so I work with a lot of the um, allergy doctors and pulmonologists, et cetera, so that, like I said, anatomy-specific problems sometimes are better addressed. And sometimes I can do a great job on the nose and sinuses, but I ask for my pulmonology, for example, colleagues to help me um, because I'm not an asthma expert and they do a great job with that. So it's really collaborative, but everybody's got their own real estate, so to speak, that they're taking care of. Interesting. Well, thanks. I really appreciate you being here to talk about this. Let me remind listeners that you're Dr. Heidi Marzouk, an assistant professor of otolaryngology at Upstate Medical University. I'm Amber Smith, and this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air.